I wanted to describe to you a, a scenario that may be familiar to you, either personally or from watching TV or movies. And it looks like this. There's a young couple sat at a table with a, an older couple. And there's a conversation going on. And it starts like this. Where are we going to put Aunt Edna? There's a space on table three next to the Smiths. No, no, you can't put her there. That's the same table as Uncle Ramsey. And they won't speak to each other. Oh, okay. Um, how about if we put Uncle Ramsey on six and move Cousin Robert to four? Oh, no, no, you can't put Cousin Robert anywhere near Edna's kids because of the Christmas fallout of 97. They haven't talked to each other since. Wedding planning. Maybe you've been through it, maybe you've seen it. But maybe you can understand and imagine that relationship maze. But not about seating arrangements for a wedding, but instead the web of relationships that makes up a church. As we dive into our second week of the book of Philemon, we want to say that church ought not to be like that. You can't put that person next to that person. Church ought not to be like walking in the door and thinking, well, I'm not sitting over there because of them. So let's dive in. Philemon, week two. And our first point, and the main point, be reconciled. That is the thrust of what this book, this letter is about. Paul, the author of the letter, is writing to Philemon to tell him to be reconciled to Onesimus. Paul knows both of these men. He knows Philemon, who we looked at last week, wealthier, a slave owner, an owner of Onesimus, the runaway slave. And Paul desires for them to be brought back together, to be reconciled for a spoiled relationship to be healed for a broken relationship to be mended and that's why Paul is sending Onesimus back to Colossae and back to Philemon if Philemon had a soundtrack it would probably be the Beatles singing come together right now over me it'd just be that because the rest of the lyrics of that song are utter nonsense come together right now that is what Paul desires. Listen to verse 12. If you've got your Bibles, open and back up. I am sending him, Paul says, that's Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. And listen to verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. The runaway slave must return home and the master, Paul implores, should welcome him back. What does it take to restore, to reconcile a relationship? It takes courage, doesn't it? We put ourselves in Onesimus' shoes. He's the one at fault. How brave must he have been to have, have gone back? What does it take? It takes forgiveness. Somebody has to, to forgive practically and from the heart. But Paul also says it takes a change of vision, seeing somebody differently. I think we understand the bravery element as both the offender and the victim of relational breakdown 
have to to come together and have to to risk it happening again. And we probably understand that, that forgiveness is needed for reconciliation. That for relationships to be truly healed, you have to get over all the, the suspicion and the, the whataboutery that could be there. That sneaking thought in the back of your mind, yeah, but I remember when they did. Forgiveness means a cost must be borne emotionally or even physically, financially. That's why Paul offers to cover the financial cost. But if Philemon and Onesimus are to be brought together, Philemon at least, and and maybe his family as well, are going to have to bear that emotional cost. But what Paul emphasises, possibly uniquely here, is that Philemon must see Onesimus differently. He must see him no longer as what he was or what he did. No longer as a slave, but as a brother. Look down again at verse 16. Oh, I'll read from verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. No longer defined by what he is or by what he's done, but by who he belongs to. There has to be a change of vision for this reconciliation to take place. And Philemon must be willing to put Onesimus on the same level as him. That's brother language, isn't it? A brother is somebody who is alongside you, an equal Somebody to to live alongside, not to rule over. That's what Paul calls Philemon to. To be reconciled to Onesimus. And how does he do it? Well, last week we looked at Onesimus and we looked at Philemon. But let's just dig in a little bit more and just see how Paul draws this together. Because he starts off talking about his relationship with Philemon, verses 4 through to to 7. How Paul is encouraged by Philemon, by the reports that he's heard about his work in the church. He says, verse 7, your love, Philemon, has given me great encouragement. And then he'll go on to talk about the relationship that they've had established, that Philemon owes him his very self. We talked about what that meant last week. But then Paul goes on to, to talk about his relationship with Onesimus. So he's, he's done me and Philemon, and now he does me and Onesimus. So verse 10, Onesimus became my son whilst I was in chains. And then verse 16, Onesimus is very dear to me. It's though Paul is standing in the middle, he's got both arms out, and he's going, I've got you Philemon, and I've got you Onesimus, and hey look, we're a triangle. You must be drawn together. Verse 13 is the, is the sum up of that. Because he puts them in the same role, in the same position. Paul says, I wish I could keep him, Onesimus, so that he could do what you have done. He brings these two people and these two relationships 
together. And he says, you, you form the same role. You guys are now on the same team. Look, I'm going to treat him like I treat you. I'm going to replace you with him, but not in a bad way. Paul is doing his best Jesus impression here. Two sides who may hate each other. Two sides who are set against one another, who there is a great divide between, brought together because Jesus loves them both. And they both need him. In Christ, the two are made one. In Christ, there is peace. This is language from the letter to the Colossian church that arrives at the same time as this letter to Philemon. So Paul says to Philemon, see him not as a slave, but as a man. And not just as a man, but as a brother. And welcome him. And here's where we might feel the real sting if we were Philemon. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Don't be begrudging, Philemon. Don't be like, yeah, you can come in. Yeah, you can stay, but you've got to sleep on the couch. He says, here's the standard of this reconciliation. Philemon, treat Onesimus as you would treat me. Offer him the guest bedroom. Offering breakfast in bed. Giving the remote for the TV. Do everything for him. This is the, the standard, the level of reconciliation that Paul is requesting from Philemon. And Paul is confident that Philemon will do it. Look at verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So, REC, go and do likewise. Be reconciled to those that we have come apart from. That is the main application of Philemon for us. That in the, the community of the church, that we be reconciled to those whom we are no longer together with. But let's just pause for a moment and ask this. Is reconciliation enough? Let's talk about slavery. I'm not going to do this for very long. But maybe we'd expect Philemon, uh, Paul here to tell Philemon, release Onesimus from slavery. This is what you ought to be doing. Surely he, he could have. Surely he should have. Now, this afternoon, we haven't got the time to, to go into depth about the question of, of the Bible and slavery. We could probably do an entire sermon. We could probably do an entire sermon series on it. But let's just bring out a few key things. Slavery in the Roman Empire was not the same as slavery as we might think about it, the African slave trade, which we might be more familiar with. There were significant differences. But it's still true to say that some slaves in the Roman Empire, in the Roman world, were equally mistreated. 
But there was also, if I can put it in this sort of language, there were sort of positives and much better things about slavery under the Roman Empire. There were systems in place so that slaves could be freed, so that slaves could even earn their freedom. And some slaves were, were basically trained professionals who would be tutors or uh, effectively accountants and other sort of professional roles that they served in. And that's not to say that it's okay, but it's good for us to acknowledge that there is a, a difference. When the Bible talks about slavery, the words that it uses can be equally mean serving. And so some of our Bible translations will have slavery in a lot, but you could replace the word slavery with the word servant or slave with servant. And in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about slavery or putting yourself at the, at the sort of behest of other people to pay off a debt. But it was voluntary. And it was written into God's law that people in such a position must be treated kindly. There were protections and rights for those in slavery. We need to acknowledge that the Bible talks about it. We need to acknowledge that there are differences. We also need to acknowledge that Christians have got it very wrong on slavery. That Christians have used the Bible to justify slavery wrongly. But let's get back to the question. Should Paul have, have commanded or requested for Philemon to set Onesimus free? Listen to what Peter Williams, a New Testament scholar, talks about, uh, says about freeing of slaves. He says Christians could not change the legal system. A slave rebellion would have led to the execution of the rebels. There were also legal restrictions concerning the number of slaves who could be freed and freeing them early, before the age of 30, could bar them from becoming Roman citizens. Commanding Christians to free their slaves would not therefore have been legal, nor would it have worked as by state law some of those slaves would still not have been free. We're barely scratching the, the surface of this issue, but one of the things Peter Williams is saying there is that it's not as if Paul could have said, you have to do this, and it would have automatically resulted in Onesimus being a, a free man. Paul didn't have that authority. But probably more importantly for us is to, to understand the, that the primary call of Christianity is not to change the world so that it works in a way that pleases and honours God. The primary call of Christianity is for us to be changed ourselves in the light of who Christ is and what he has done for us, in the light of the fact that Jesus will return and all will be judged and that the earth and the heavens will be made new. Our primary call is not to change the culture. Paul is concerned with the church and the behaviour of the church and of believers. We are to do good and we are to seek good for others. But we must recognise the limitations of what we can achieve in this world. We will not save the world. And Paul's not seeking to. Jesus saves the world. 
And people need to be pointed to him. And we are to do good. There's lots more that could be said. You might have many questions. Happy to take them by email because you're not allowed to talk to me. Um, Lots more that could be said. But hopefully that's a helpful start. Let's ask the question. Why bother? Why bother being reconciled? As we think under our, our, our final heading, the rewards of reconciliation. Perhaps you're already thinking about a particular person or a particular situation in the past or or in the present. And you're asking that question, well, why bother? It's not worth the hassle. It's easy enough to sit on the opposite side or to only see them at Christmas. Let's just stick Uncle Ramsay on table two and bank on the fact that Aunt Edna's kids will probably leave early anyway. We can take that approach. We can think that way. Well, let's look at at what motivates Paul in this and see one reason from this book of Philemon and two from the book of Colossians. We've already mentioned it. This other letter that came at the same time as this one to the same church. So the first one is there in verse 20. Look down again. Paul says, I do wish, brother... Philemon, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. We talked last week about the impact that refreshers, people, not sweets, have on us. This is how, Paul says, Philemon can bring life to him. This is how we can benefit and encourage and restore others in the church and maybe especially in this context the leaders paul is the apostle paul is overlooking and watching over all these churches that have been planted as he's gone out on these missionary journeys he has this pastoral heart and pastoral care for for the people and he says to philemon if you do this it will refresh me it will do me good it it will benefit me nothing cheers the heart of a christian leader be it a ministry leader a life group leader a parent or an elder than seeing the fruit of people walking with jesus even more than encouraging words are encouraging actions and it's true in all matters of obedience in the christian faith but especially in relationships seeing people work out their differences and act in a christ-like manner towards one another encourages leaders when love and forgiveness is shown when unity is brought It encourages those who are watching on. It's this thought, this realisation that Jesus is at work in us. We're so quick to be thinking about ourselves. I think in a sense that's quite natural. But to realise that Jesus is at work amongst us 
as we see people working out in difficult and complex situations and acting like Jesus. That's why Paul says, refresh my heart in Christ. It's not just that he'll get a warm, fuzzy feeling like watching a romantic comedy and go, oh, that's nice, Philemon and Esimus having a little cuddle. He's like, no, when I see that, I recognise that Jesus is at work in his people. That Jesus is being faithful to keep the promises that he has made to build his church. Reconciliation refreshes the church. But secondly, reconciliation allows us to minister to others with a a clear conscience and a proven life. Come with me again to Philemon's house in Colossae, first century, on that Sunday morning as Tychicus and Onesimus rock up. And perhaps they've arrived a little bit early and Onesimus has, has given the letter to Philemon, Philemon. But then an hour or so later, the church service starts. And then maybe Tychicus or or one of the others in the church gets up and reads the letter to the Colossians. This letter that Paul has written to to the church there. And they gather round and they listen to the words. And Paul says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Listen, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Oh, Can you imagine the situation as people are listening to that and Philemon's there and Onesimus is there. There is neither slave nor free. Paul continues... Somebody's reading this out to the church. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Imagine. Being in that room, as that has read out, in Philemon's house. We don't know Philemon's role in the church, but at least to some extent he's going to have a position because it's his house. Get rid of anger. Clothe yourselves with kindness. Bear with one another and forgive each other. How could Philemon lead in the church? If this is Christ's call to his church, to his people, if he will not live it out. Paul gives him the opportunity to to lead in these things, to model it through his actions towards Onesimus. 
previous sin has presented the current opportunity to model grace and to model godliness. This is how the church is built. Through a thousand small acts of obedience and occasionally a few larger acts of obedience that show the rightness and goodness of the life that Jesus calls us to. And if we don't live out what we say, if we don't practice what we preach, well then our message will fall on deaf ears. And of course that lays the burden on all those who would preach, all those who would teach in the church in whatever capacity, but for all of us. Our lives are the evidence for the message we proclaim in evangelism, in parenting, in the one-to-one discipling everyday life that we are all called to be part of. And so, as we see this opportunity for Philemon, perhaps we need to repent of where we fail to do that. And we need to remember that God is merciful. He does not... He does not expect us to be perfect. He takes weak people and uses us. God is merciful. He calls us to holiness. But he chooses to use people who are less than holy. So let's repent of where we fail. But also let's aspire to live out what we proclaim. Thirdly, reconciliation points us towards what Christ has done every restored relationship every reconciled friendship points us as the church and points the watching world to the great work of jesus listen to another section of that letter to the church in Colossae, chapter 1 verse 19 for god was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him that is christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God is in the business of reconciliation. We thought about it before Christmas, didn't we? This great call for people to come home to God. And as we, on our micro, small, one-to-one level, as we go about the process of being reconciled to other people, we are pointing to the greater work that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. He has brought together God and man. He has brought together Jew and Gentile groups that hated each other, that were so disparate and now brought together in Christ. And Jesus has, through his work on the cross, begun the process of bringing the whole world back to himself. We get the opportunity to point to Jesus in this way. As we are reconciled to other people. So let's not give in to the simple options of avoidance 
of people we don't get on with or holding grudges, whether loudly or quietly. But let us pursue reconciliation in humility and with grace. And maybe that just starts practically by praying for the people we know that we struggle with. Maybe even today, maybe even now, we can start by praying. God, would you reconcile us? Let me pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are so far from perfect, individually, corporately. Lord, you know each of our hearts. And we thank you that as we read this letter to Philemon, you are speaking to us and calling us to continue the process of change. Father, we want to be a church that points not in our, in our words and in our lives and in our corporate life together. We want to point to Jesus. Help us to do that. Father, we pray for ourselves and for each other. Lord, help us to, to be reconciled. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself in Jesus. We praise you for him. Continue working in us and on us. We ask in his name. Amen.